The biggest financial purchase you'll make is usually your house. So how about a a show where we talk about the ins and outs of buying and selling real estate. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Hey, money guy family, it's your host, Brian Preston. Sitting here with Mr. Bo Hansen as well, helping you go beyond common sense and just squeeze every ounce of growth and opportunity out of your wallet as possible. And this is an exciting one. Go check it out, moneyguy.com. you got to go connect out on YouTube. Give us your email address. We've got some free stuff that's going to be coming your way. If you don't, if we don't have your email address on moneyguy.com, we're not going to be able to share all this great free information that we're going to continue to pass your way. So I want to go ahead and hit the ground running on this one because this is such an important thing. I, I mean, I, I think about it's part of our culture, Bo. The American dream. Oh, yeah. Is what? The, you own your own home. You have the white picket fence and, uh, you know, two and a half kids and a dog. There was even a, a commercial where a guy's riding, uh, you know, a riding lawnmower in his front yard and in front of this beautiful house. And he's talking about how he's completely broke. Oh, you yeah. Know, he's yeah, like, yeah, he yeah. shows his beautiful new car. He shows his beautiful house. And he's like, I'm completely Got broke. You know? for it. So I, I think that's a key point because what we don't realize is that there's a lot of subliminal stuff, a lot of peer pressure. When you hear the term peer pressure, a lot of people think, oh, they're talking about, you know, doing illegal drugs sure. or, you know, drinking underage. Now, right. peer pressure extends well into adulthood and it somehow creeps into us where I think there's a lot of pressure on people to also feel like there's societal norms right. that they have to, to reach this American dream. Yeah. And that means you should try to buy your house ASAP. Get, get into this house, get your piece of the pie. That's right. And I want to, I want to tell you, I think homeownership is awesome. It can't, it is. Mm-hmm. But every time the temperature goes below 15 degrees here. You know, Bo. I'm, I, oh, I get to be I a nervous I... person. I'm worried pipes are bursting because if you've ever had a pipe burst, or, or we went on a business trip Sunday, we went, came back and did a big four one k presentation, came back, garage door opener didn't work. Right. I didn't even get to talk. We were so busy that I didn't get to tell you. I had an electrician come out because I thought for sure a GF switch had gone bad right. because I reset them all and nothing happened. He comes out, charges the $80 service call. And then we find out, no, it's just the controller on the wall that, oh, I, nice. that I had to buy awesome. on Amazon. But awesome. this stuff, so that happens. And while I'm looking for other GF switches downstairs, I realize there's a slight leak in my daughter's bathroom shower. And you just realize houses are awesome, but they're also an awesome responsibility. Right. So right. I, I wanted to kind of tell you, this is not your typical show where I'm going to tell you it's all rainbows and unicorns. We're going to walk you through how you can actually grab your piece of the American dream without sacrificing your financial independence, your ability right. to actually keep this thing on track to, to doing what the way you want to live your financial life. And I think one thing that's a little interesting is as the world has changed, as technology has made the world a much smaller place, uh, as people have really been working on these work-life balance scenarios, uh, the American dream and the home ownership prescription that used to be the solution for everyone, you know, you go off, you get education, you get married, you have kids, you get a house, you know, all that stuff. It's not necessarily the, the prescription anymore. And so you have to kind of understand your unique situation and which financial decision is going to be the best for what you're ultimately looking to accomplish. Um, we had talked about in, in show prep, 
you had, you had provided some exceptions to maybe to this. If you live in a high cost of living area. That's right. If you are, a, have the travel bug. That's You're right. a young couple and you want to, you know, go see the world. Um, somebody who, you know, is downsizing. And you can also have the travel bug then, right? You know, yeah. you, you retire, empty nest, and then you want to go travel. Maybe you don't want to be nailed down to one piece of earth. So, so there are some, some other life decisions that can go into this as, as well. But I, I started thinking when I was doing show prep for today, this week's show, I, I couldn't remember any other podcast we had done talking about home purchases. And, and then it hit me. Some of this is pride. Fortunately for you guys, I'm now old enough that I think I shock a lot of people when you start working with us. We know a lot about money. Sure. But I'm also, because we have so much knowledge, I am the first to tell you, hey, I need to go look that up. I yep. mean, there is something about wisdom. When you know that you do have mastery in a subject, you don't feel like you have to fake it until That's you right. make it. You yep. can actually be honest with people. Well, I think that part of that pride that keeps you from being honest about that when you're a younger person before you've reached mastery when you make mistakes, you're almost nervous that people will see those mistakes because yeah, yeah, yeah. that, that diminishes you. But I'm so comfortable in my skin, I've realized the reason I haven't done a show on buying a house is because I've screwed this up. <laughs> I mean, I've screwed this up. And let me tell you a story on how not to buy your first house. I love it. The uh, money got mess ups. Here we go. Man, these, these are humbling. Very <laughs> humbling. So the first mistake, number one. You shouldn't plan a wedding and build a house at the same time while you're 24. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So, first of all, I have, when I got married, I had two parents that were still, still together, mm-hmm. healthy couple, had two in-laws. Nobody thought this was insane that two, two, you know, t- uh, you know, Recent two people who had grads. never lived together, just graduated from college, getting married, and they're going to build a house. We didn't buy a house. We built a house. Right, right. That's a mistake. That probably is getting the, the cart before the horse. Sure. Uh, but somehow parents thought this is completely reasonable. Mistake number two. I purchased furniture on credit three weeks before we're to close on the house. This seems, re- you know, and the thing is I had cash for this furniture that I was buying for the house. So, so why on earth, Brian, would you hey, purchase this, it on this, credit? This sickness that you guys experience every week with the Money Guy Show has been going on decades. When you go buy furniture, you know what they do. They say, you know, you're buying a lot of furniture. If you will do the store, store credit card, we'll yeah. give you a 10% discount. Huh? 10% <laughs> discount? I'm in. Sign me up. So I signed that, I signed up for the score, store credit card. And then when I go, the mortgage company reaches out to the real estate agent we're working with right. and says, by the way, we're having trouble with the mortgage. <laughs> of course, why? Why would you? Well, you should have trouble with a mortgage with a twenty-four-year-old, two twenty-four-year-olds buying a house. But um, it messed up my rate. Yeah. I had to pay a little bit higher. I had to do some crazy structure. We'll get into that stuff in a minute. And then number three, my wife and I, freshly minted wife. I mean, probably all of a week when we went to go close on this house, showed up at closing with no preparation and a checkbook. Wait, like, like you're. Like your personal checkbook? Yeah, this is, by the way, you guys, if you're a first-time home buyer, there is a whole process we're going to go over today, is that you show up, you're supposed to wire the funds. You don't show up with a checkbook, because you show up with a checkbook, they're going to look at you like, what, what are we going to do with that? you got to wire the funds into the account. And, and the other thing is, we didn't look over a settlement statement to make sure everything was okay. So this closing ended up lasting 
over three hours. God bless that closing <laughs> attorney. He earned every penny. But that's a disaster. That's yeah. that's not yeah. how you're supposed. Those three mistakes are horrendous. But you can understand how a first time home buyer doesn't know the process, and we're going to help you through that. So let me tell you a story on how not to sell your home. Well, I was just going to share one that I thought, you know, because since you're sharing about ways that you screw up, if you have three of them, I can share one, and that, you know, that's Well, you decided right. to trump me. Didn't you buy your first house when you were like 21? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, I bought my first <laughs> house when I was 21, and I and truthfully, I had no business buying a home, but I really understood the mathematics of the transaction. I could either throw away money and rent, or I could buy a house and start building equity. Well... You know, I learned very quickly that that's not, you know, while math is math and sometimes it can make sense, there are other circumstances that come into the equation. And uh, It's that peer pressure. It's I'm exactly telling you, it is. that peer pressure. Right. You feel like you have to buy the house, get married, start having kids to do this American dream right. thing. And, and look, there, all that stuff is healthy and good, but you can you can sometimes let that peer pressure push you to do things before you're you're necessarily ready. That's right. So I've told you the story of mistakes on how not to buy your house. How about mistakes to on selling your house? Because I've done these. This is more confessions. And, and surprisingly I was able to come up with three of these quite easily too. So number one, mistake number one. Not being realistic on what my house was worth. Oh man, that's such a good one. So let me tell you guys, my first house that I built Blood, sweat, and tears of my 24-year-old bride and I put together. We loved this house so much that when it was time to sell it to move to a new house, we put it on the market, and I kid you not, we got an offer in the first week. Oh, that's great. First week. That's fantastic. We put the house on the market for $229. First week, military couple moving into the area offered us $215. With them paying closing costs. Oh, that sounds great, man. So y'all did all right on your first home sale. I turned down that offer. Thought they took too much off the top. (laughs) So that's mistake number one, not knowing what your house is worth. Number two, mistake number two, and it's related, is I didn't understand how expensive closing costs and how much they reduced your final check. Mm -hmm. What I should have known, a much wiser Brian now knows, that if they're paying all the closing costs, that's two to five percent. So if you do the math on that, it's four to ten thousand dollars right. difference. Yeah, I probably should have taken that first offer, but I was naive and didn't know any better. And mistake number three: after I failed to take the perfect buyer, which is a person relocating the area that's going to have somebody else paying their closing costs, like this military couple was. I decided the next one we're just going to take whatever contract came through. Right. So I did a contingent contract with somebody who was just trying to scam the system to get their child into the school system. Mm. Mm. So I I rectified that. But on my second house that I sold, I did another contingent contract because I felt sorry for the couple. And because they had a good story. I'm a a softie. This is why I don't do a lot of rental property. I'd be a horrible (laughs) landlord. I'd be a great landlord if I'm your landlord. Horrible landlord to my back pocket. But um, So you have to be very wary of contingent and unique contract terms. But those are my three mistakes that I just wanted to share that we all have room for improvement. And we're going to show you how to maximize this. Now, fortunately, I've built a second house. I've built a third house. And I've done some rental property. I've gotten much better at the process, and we're going to be able to share that wisdom with you. But I felt like it's humbling, but also I think it shows you that even people who are good with money, I've always felt like I'm good with money. If you don't know the process, you too can be 
have mistakes that can cost you dearly on, and, and, you know, for your finances, your back pocket, and even for your future. So you yeah. need to be smart about this stuff. You know, one mistake I thought when I, you know, I bought my first house at 21 and I sold it when I was in, in my mid twenties. And what I thought was so unique is this guy came to view the house and he shared this story about how he had recently been divorced and had this young child and he was so, you know, he really kind of gave me this sob story. And just like you, I kind of felt sorry for him and I kind of forgot that this is a, you know, a capital transaction. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, he made an offer and I was like, yeah, you know what, man? Yeah. Okay. We can, we can do that. And then like the next day I found out it was an all cash offer and he was just going to write a check for it. And I recognized this wasn't like a house. He wasn't exactly being in complete truthful of what he was trying to do. And I recognized, you know, I kind of wore a little bit of that and, and understanding that when you go through these types of transactions, you do have to kind of take care of yourself and make sure that you are putting your best foot forward when you're working through these big life decisions. Yeah. So let's kind of get into this thing. Let's talk about, because you can get into the weeds with this, and I, I want to make sure that we get share as much information as possible. And we've already talked about you have to be careful of the peer pressure, but realize another thing, we have to work with a lot of our clients, especially as they're getting closer to retirement, is that they have to, you have to explain, this is a use asset. And a lot of people get emotionally attached to their to their houses, but you do have to explain, this is not something because we have we have clients and we have prospects and others that get so excited that they have tremendous amounts of equity yep. built up in their house so much so that they're counting that number and like if you come up with a goal of I want to save X right. by the time I'm 60 years old so I can retire early we've had clients that we're trying to encourage them to save more in the 401ks mm-hmm. their retirement plans yep. and they're like what's well, okay I've got X in my house that's going to fill the void. And I'm like, wait, how's that going to fill? Are you going to sell that house? No, no, no. Usually the answer is no. No, This is my dream house. I'm not moving. This is where I raise my kids. So it's hard to, you you say this all the time, Bo, so I'm probably going to screw it up. It's hard to eat a house when you're hungry. That's exactly, I say that, I do say that all the time because folks think about, and even sometimes we have, you know, younger clients who really want to prioritize getting out of debt. And that's an awesome priority to have. But sometimes if you do that at the detriment of building assets that can actually provide for you, yeah, you know, shingles are not delicious, I don't think. <laughs> I don't think they're healthy either. I don't think they're healthy either. So it ties into the whole house rich, life poor. That's right. I mean, you, you hear about these stories all the time. People buy houses, can't even afford to put the furniture mm-hmm. in them. That's not a recipe for setting yourself up for success right. in the future and probably not setting you up for happiness with your significant other either. Because yeah. if you're broke and can't take them out to eat and do trips and have fun and have a quality of life, Probably not on a healthy path. So That's you right. got to work on that stuff. Um, so, and a lot of people think, okay, this is the biggest financial purchase I'll ever make. So this is going to be the one that sets me up for retirement. How often do you hear about people saying this is going to be the greatest financial decision you'll make? So stretch it as much as possible. That's Buy right. as big of a house as possible because you're going to, it's going to be a great financial decision. And it very well could turn out to be a great decision because there's, let's face it, there are some incredible tax incentives when you sell your primary residence right. and you have a gain. It's tax-free. Yep. That That's powerful. I do not want to diminish that. But I think it is very, you have to be very careful to balance that awesome benefit with you have to live your life. You have to make sure that you can pay the mortgage, that you can put groceries right. and food on the table, that you can still have a healthy relationship by traveling by, you know, just not getting overextended. Yep. So make sure you're not overstretching that. And then that's the last one on these, just these, 
these tips on about it being a use asset. It's not a piggy bank. No, that's a good one. While yeah, I'm sharing really my stories of failure and mistakes in the past, I can tell you, if you go back and listen to the podcast from 2006 and seven, you'll hear every now and then I slip in there that I don't keep a lot of cash. That's right. I didn't keep a lot of cash because why would you want to keep cash when you can invest that money when you have a checkbook that's tied to your six figures of home equity that's in your house? Yeah. I had one because realize back in the, the 2000s, what the adage that was being told to everybody is houses don't go down in value. No, it's real estate. There's not it's any real more estate. Of it. They're not making any more. So it's going up. So everybody, including myself, I will admit this. I did not have as much cash as, as cash as I should have. So, cause I had a home equity line that they were just giving out to everybody. Right. Wasn't using the home equity line, but I had a checkbook. That's right. Just in case I ever needed it. So I looked at that as almost like a cash reserves sure. fund. Guess what happens when things get dark? They send you a nice little letter saying, you know, that cash reserves of six figures you think you have right there with the home equity line? We're, we're locking it down. It's gone. Gone. Yeah. So then you're like, wait a minute. Okay. I don't have access to that six figures of home equity. And I don't have cash. That's a bad spot it's to be a, in. Kind of a naked feeling. So you don't want to, don't use your house as a piggy bank because it's not always easy to get that money out when it's dark outside. So let's review. I found a great article. Here, here you know how it is. We find these articles and I love consumer reports. Oh, yeah. We haven't done this in a while, but consumer reports had a great article that was actually published in one of their magazines, the 10 tips for home buying and selling. Mm-hmm. And it was a good article and it was written by, Toby Stanger? How would you say that? Stanger? Did I say that right? Yeah, it's, it's like stranger without the R. So Toby did a great job with this, but we're going to love on this even more so like the Money Guy, you know, like we do on the Money right. Guy show. So let's kind of jump right into this thing, and we'll provide a link mm-hmm. if you want to go out to moneyguy.com and check it out. So the first thing is talking about buyers. Mm-hmm. The first thing that he had put on here as a tip was establish a price range. I think that's great. And that's a money guy echo. We say that all the time. Whenever you make a housing decision, there are some rules of thumb that you ought to live by. Yeah. Our, our echo was you don't want to spend too much. It kind of piggybacks on top of that state, that discussion about it being a use asset. I like that. I like an understanding that you only want 25% of your income going towards housing. That's right. If you will keep that in check. It, life just seems easier. So 25% is kind of what I share with people. And when I say 25%, I'm talking about everything. Principal, interest, taxes, insurance. Make sure that you're being conservative with your home purchase. It's perfect. Um, also, I, before I moved on to, to the next one they had on the Consumer Reports, I thought it because I didn't find any place to put this, but I think it's an important thing. When you buy any house, do the inspection. No matter how good it looks, yeah. do an inspection. It, it You know, it's it's... Only a few hundred bucks to get an inspector to come in, and I think it's worthwhile, so this do is, that. You know, that's one I struggled with because I didn't want to spend a couple hundred bucks on mm-hmm. something I thought was already great. But when you think about the gravity of what you're buying, this this 100000 plus or multiple hundred thousand or in some cases million dollar uh, deal that you're purchasing – a couple hundred bucks isn't that crazy to kind of have some insurance. And and it's not uncommon for a seller to have an inspection report that they provided and right. paid for. I, even though it, I'm sure there's great people out there that are providing these as a, as a value add to the prospective buyers to show they were proactive, 
I'd still go out and get my own home for inspection sure. just for, sure, for independence sure. sake. Um, number two, clean up your credit. Man. <laughs> so, so what you're saying is don't go finance a bunch of furniture before you close. If only I'd read this article <laughs> before I bought that first house because I, I mean, we hear this stuff all the time. Yeah. Another thing that people will do is they will get serious about, because they'll read an article like this about cleaning up your credit. Sure. And they'll say, well, I need to go close down a bunch of credit cards yep. and stuff. And they'll start taking all these actions to try to boost up their credit score. But be careful when you do these things. Right. We've done whole episodes and, and, and Money Guy shows on the fact that sometimes when you close credit cards, especially if it's the oldest credit card you have, that can hurt your credit score. Sure. So be careful when you go through the cleanup credit process. Do your research and also just treat your credit with kid gloves while you're in the in this process of buying a new home. If I am going to buy a house and I'm thinking about getting a mortgage, what's a good time frame to think about? You know, I probably don't need to take out an auto loan or go open up a new credit card. Is is it six months? Is it a year? Is there some? Well, some really, guys and there? you guys, you, you can see this stuff if you play on any of the credit apps like Credit Karma or go pull your own credit report when they give guidance. They'll ask how many inquiries you've had in the last two years or okay. so. And, and, you know, if you've had more than two, that's a negative. Sure. It takes you from A down to B to C, yep. you know, to pimp on. So that's what I would keep that mindset of that there's a rolling two year period okay. with your credit. You be careful when you know you're buying a house in the next two years. Probably need to save up all those credit inquiries for buying the house. Don't sure. buy the car, the furniture, and the house all in the same six-month period. It's going to look like you've decided, you know what, you woke up and you said, I need some credit today. And then it's going to scare the lenders. Because yeah. remember, lenders don't really like lending you money unless you don't need the money. Yeah. So if you look like you're go- you're gotten crazy and you woke up and you're going to do one of those leaving Las Vegas things like Nicolas Cage did where – you're just blowing it out yeah. one last time. Right. They they, they kind of spot that behavior. You need to be very careful um, w- with doing that. So that's cleaning up your credit. Number four, get pre-approved. This is oh. one I, I kind of had a mixed feeling because it ties into what we were just talking about. Sure. Um, if you're going to let somebody, because it's easy to call a lender, give them your income, talk to them about what your monthly cash flow is on debts and things that you have like car payments sure. or, or any other student loan debt. And they can tell you what you could be conditionally approved for. Right. But if you want to get pre-qualified, that means they got to run your credit. Sure. The article tells you to go get pre-qualified. And I, and I agree with that, but I would say make sure that you know that this is the lender you're going to use because you don't want to be jumping around a bunch, pulling a bunch of credit reports. Now, fortunately, the credit reporting agencies will do some grouping when you're on right. one transaction, but... Just be careful. You don't want to be throwing out your social security number to every lender out there. And the other thing I would think about is you should go into this process prepared. Don't let the lender or the banker or the person you're talking with dictate the price and the size of the home that you're going to buy. Just because you're pre-approved for X hundred thousand dollars doesn't mean that that should be your price range. You need to go back to the rule of thumb, calculate 25% of your gross income, do some time value of money calculation or figure out how much house actually makes sense for you, not just how much you can go leverage and, 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 and go out to the hilt on. Well, and that, that ties into it because you're especially now, maybe it's your second or third home. You don't have the same issues, but I know. And, and, and well, I don't know. My second home, I had a, I was down payment is a big concern. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people will just, they'll maximize. They'll say, okay, I've got this much in cash reserves. Uh, and they'll just gross it up, assuming that they could take all twenty per, all that and use that as the twenty percent right. down payment. 
What they usually don't think about is that whole two to five percent of closing costs right. and other fees, recording stamp fees, yeah. and all these other things. So don't underestimate the cost that, that go into buying right. a house. I think a lot of people just overlook that That's stuff. It. It's not so simple as you look at the house. You multiply by 20% and go, I can afford it. Yeah, that's not No, the, you that's got not taxes, it. you got insurance, plus you got all the closing costs to that's get right. into it. So, so be very careful and, and aware of what's going on with all the fees and so forth. That's right. Um, sweeten the deal. What they mean by, by this topic of sweeten the deal is that when you're buying a house, if it's a hot market, mm-hmm. it's not uncommon. We saw it with, with Carter, who's one of oh, our yeah. associates here. Him and his wife wrote a, a heartwarming letter right. that they attached with the offer with with a picture of them and their dog exactly i mean it's brilliant i mean because it and and that that happens in hot markets where it's not uncommon for a house to have three or four offers moving to nashville i will tell you guys is very unique here they do showcase periods Mm -hmm. meaning that they will put it on the mls system for like 15 to 30 days before you can even go inside and look at it and make an offer they basically tell everybody hey come one come all look at the pictures on the internet and when this thing goes live on this date, come with your offers, right. and it and it and they come. Yeah. So it, it's it, it, what this is saying is when about sweeting the deal is that cash down payments. The more you can put down, if it's a cash purchase, or if you come down with a big cash down payment, you'll get the attention of in you know if you've got a competitive bidding process. Sure. Also, if you have flexibility, maybe you don't need to move in this house. You can offer the seller a little extra time if they're building another house sure. somewhere else, or maybe you can take it really quick in case this the seller is trying to get, to get out, out of this yeah. thing. Find out what the situation is. Ask your real estate agent yep. to kind of do some detective work to figure out what's going on. Why are they moving? And you can help sweeten that deal because flexibility can great. be your friend on getting it. And then the last um, tip they had on here was shop for mortgages. And I thought this was this was pretty good. It goes back to our 25% yep. rule. But I wanted to go a little further with it and say that, you know, one of the things I think about looking at a mortgage is how long will you be in this mortgage? If you are like this military couple that offered on my, my, my first house, they, they knew they weren't going to be there for three to four years right. because that, that's how long the assignment was going to be. And then they would get moved out to sure. some other place. Might make sense to do an adjustable rate. Yep. That, that, that shakes me to the core to hear me say that because I'm more of a, a fixed 15 or 30 year right. mortgage, but be realistic with how long you will live in this house. Right. Now, if you're going to live in, if they, you, you think like they're going to do with me, they're going to dig a hole in the back and throw me out there. And then <laughs> my wife's going to go find her another man, you know, 30 year mortgage is yeah. probably going to be the, the, the perfect thing. So understand what your needs are when you're shopping for a mortgage. And understand the difference in the mortgage marketplace. If the last house that you bought was 15 years ago, things have changed yeah. a little bit. Interest rate differentials are different. The types of products that are available are different. So you need to educate yourself. Don't just assume that what you did two decades ago still applies to you making a change right now. Um, I thought it was unusual. When I bought my most recent house, I used I mean, this is not an endorsement. This is, I'm just telling you my experience, sharing the story for educational purposes. I used Capital One. Yep. When I, when I thought of Capital One, when I thought of the process, I was like, it's the credit card company, right. but they do mortgages. And what I found interesting is that they actually showed their rates on the website. Yeah. I mean, it was, I mean, that's pretty transparent. Yeah, absolutely. Even if you're not going to use one of these internet companies, these internet banks, use them to keep your mortgage lender yep. honest. I mean, yep. it's great when they're publishing those rates every day. You don't have to play these reindeer games where when your mortgage lender tells you the rate, you're like, 
wait a minute, why can't, why aren't you close yeah. to this rate? It at least gives you some competitiveness to, to, to shop things around. So let's talk about selling tips now, okay. the ins and outs on selling a house. Um, the first thing in this article they put forward is get the best deal from your broker. And I thought this was a, okay. this was powerful stuff is a lot of us know that when you sell a house, there's a commission that the real estate agent gets. Right. And it's industry standards, 6%. That's right. Yeah. You can negotiate off of that. I know all my real estate agents. Cut it out. Stop yeah. saying that. But it is true. Like I know when I've, Especially if you, if the selling agent is going to be the buying and selling agent, it's not uncommon that your selling agent might have a buyer waiting in the wings that they can say, Hey, I got the perfect house that I just listed. Um, if they're representing both sides, you ought to get a discount. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really think that it, you should because typically that 6% is broken out between the buyer's agent, the seller's agent. So, so, and, and if you, maybe you have a relationship, maybe you've referred a good bit of business. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe there's some professional relationship. Sure. Maybe there's a personal relationship with your real estate agent. It, it's something you might want to just consider because the stats show that I think this thing said from a 2015 survey that 63% of people negotiate their fees. Yeah. But no, no, and, and while the fee is negotiable, Brian, I think we should give <clears throat> real estate agents a nod, right? It is a valuable service they offer. I mean, they do a lot more than just a, a, a single transaction. There's a lot that goes into yeah, it. Yeah, right? I mean, I'll, I'll tell you from my first house, I'm trying to think of how I put this. I tried to do the do-yourself route, or I tried to do the $500 listing your house on the MLS system, right. but doing it essentially quasi-do-it-yourself. I got an education, though, about my real estate. If you have a good one, because I want to say, we all know there's there's probably – Everybody in every industry, it's just like everybody doing financial stuff, they're not all good. That's right. So you can't assume everybody's great in the real estate. But if you have a real estate agent marketplace, but if you have a good one, they're going to arrange the inspection. Mm-hmm. They're also going to let the repair people in you know, to, to, to go fix up. some yeah. stuff up, even help you on. They'll have a list of vendors because some of these things are going to be obscure fixes that you have never had to have worked on in yeah. the house. They'll know who to call to get that fixed. They also, I thought this was a powerful thing because so much, so many deals are ruined by appraisers yeah. or deals, yeah. especially if you're in a slow market right. where that you, you're worried about getting a good appraisal. A good real estate agent will meet the appraiser at the house. You know, maybe, might even have a showcase executive summary of all the, the features of the house, sure. square footage, other things, just to make sure that that inspector is not looking at this house blindly, right. not having the, getting the best foot forward on, sure. on what's great about this house. Um, they'll work on keeping the buyer in line on financing. Yeah. You know, they're going to keep going back to that other real estate agent to find out where we are in the process. Working with the closing attorney, there's a lot of paperwork that goes into getting everything set up to get those settlement statements sure. and, and everything, tra- you know, transactions processed. And then I just put the last tip was keeping the trains running. There's a lot of coordination yeah. of getting everything to go. A, a good real estate agent should not just be open, hosting an open house, putting a sign in the front yard, and that's it. If that's all you're getting, they are ripping you off. Right. I think a good real estate agent does a lot more than that. And so how do you make the decision, or there's some things to think about when you're trying to decide, do I use a real estate agent or do I try to sell this myself? How do you approach that? I mean, well, first you have to ask yourself, honestly look at yourself and figure out how much you're willing to get your, your hands dirty okay. in the process. Um, if you're a big do-it-yourselfer, that's one thing. You'll know you're a doer. But the, there's another thing that needs to come in. And even if you're a doer, if you're in a slow real estate marketplace, probably need an agent. Okay. 
if you're in a hot marketplace, you can start leaning more towards the the do it yourself um, because just the market's so hot that it might sell yourself sure. sell sell itself. So so that's what I would take into account. Do an analysis of yourself as well as how hot the market is. That makes sense. Um, the next thing the article had on here was fix the big things. Uh, I'm sorry. Fix the big things. The big things. Not everything. Not fix everything. Fix the big things. Okay. And I thought this was good advice because I had a um, one of my friends sold his house probably three years ago. He's an engineer. Engineers, you gotta love how their brain works. We're kind, of, we're quasi related. There's so many listeners right now. They're just like, oh, he's talking to me. I'm in there. <laughs> he purposely didn't fix some things on his house that he knew were wrong. They were very minor, not not things that like when you toured the house that you noticed. Why? But because he knew, having that engineer mindset, that that inspector that was going to get hired was going to need to come up with a list of things to, fi- to fix. So he wouldn't leave some breadcrumbs for So him. he left some things because that inspector, when they find five, six, eight things that aren't major things, they're not going to blow up the contract. Right. They feel like mission accomplished. That's I just, awesome. you know, I just justified my necessity in this transaction and they won't dig deeper. Whereas if you fix everything, they're going to have to go, man, i got to sharpen my pencil. Yeah, We're, yeah. We are going to get down in those cobwebs. We're <laughs> going to find something wrong with this house. I mean, it's just, unfortunately, and look, I love inspectors. You've heard me say, get in an inspection yep. report. Yep. But without a doubt, if you fix everything, that inspector's still going to find something. So be yeah. very mindful of that when, you, when you're, you're, you're doing it. So fix the big things. Don't fix everything. And and while, okay, so maybe there are some things that you don't fix. A really important thing to keep in mind when you're selling a house is that lipstick matters. For sure. Uh, whether you like it or not, when someone comes into your home, they're going to judge it on first impression. So you want to make sure, at the very least, it is appealing to the five senses. It doesn't stink. There aren't like, <laughs> you know, moldy things going on. You know, it's, it has to be somewhat pleasant. Because that matters, because a lot of decisions are made based on what that first impression is in your home. If you've lived in your house for over a decade, trends have probably changed a little bit. You might have to freshen up the paint, sure. um, put new carpet in. I mean, there's things you might need to do, as Bo says, the lipstick does matter. Right. I also find it, and it, it ties into this, this next one that's in the article, is declutter and depersonalize. Oh, yeah. You guys, a lot of you have come visit us down in downtown Franklin. I love having visitors come get the, the nickel dime tour, depending upon how good I'm feeling that day <laughs> of, of the office. But one of the things I didn't notice, and we have a brand new employee, and she says, guys, are y'all keeping these keyboards, these speakers, and these monitors on this hand Do- truck? Dolly. <laughs> I mean, is there a reason? I'm like, I, I forgot that was there. I mean, there, there is something about clutter after it's there, maybe it's my personality because we, we, I'm a stacker. You know, if you come into my office, I just cleaned it. So if you came now, it'd, it'd be look clean. good. So if you, but, if but you I'm a stacker. Come now. And after about a week or two, I just don't see that stack anymore. Yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah. It, just, it looks orderly and clean. So I didn't even notice that hand truck with all the old right. electronics that we meant to recycle. Yeah. So it, it just, the declutter, depersonalize. If you have a bunch of pictures of the family, um, you know, and all these things going up the stairway as you walk in. That's great. That's awesome for your family. But you're trying to sell a house and you want that person when they walk in your house to start letting their imagination roam on what right. their memories are going to be. So it, you don't want them to, to see your, your family or your mug on the picture and go, well, this is kinda, their house, not my house. Yeah. And it's the same thing in your closet. 
and you notice, think about every time you go on a tour of homes or, or go look at those things. They'll have the biggest closet, and they'll have four things in that closet. They'll yeah. have a pair of golf shoes. They'll have like a piece of luggage because yeah. they're trying to create all these, you know, things that get your imagination right. rolling. But whereas if you go in the typical person's closet, I mean, they're basically going in there, pushing everything in there, yep. and then closing the door and hope that the junk doesn't fall out. Declutter, depersonalize yep. is going to help you um, through that process. The next one is post lots of images. Mm-hmm. I thought this was important. You know, the new trend is these drones. Yeah. I mean, these they, you can take these angles that were not available five right. and seven years ago, um, put lots of pictures. I mean, how many of us are using Zillow, um, Realtor.com? I mean, all these apps that are available now on your phone, yeah. your, your, your tablets. I mean, pictures speak a lot. And realize hot markets will have a lot of people moving from out of state you got to let them be able to visualize. So lots of images is going to help you out. Um, this ties in, Bo, to what you had said. It says get sque- squeaky clean. So shampooing rugs, yep. changing light bulbs, um, making sure there's no pet odors because yeah. it's like that clutter. You probably you don't smell that it. your house smells yeah. like a dog yeah. or a cat for that matter. But, you know, get somebody to come in and give you some some true feedback on what if your is your house stink? Is there something you need to be doing to 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 make it where it's show worthy? Right. Um, the I added these were not on the list, so we're done with the the list. These are things I just wanted to add to it. Mm-hmm. Was you need to check your emotion at the door when you when you're selling your house. You kind of talked about that. You I mean, because I messed out I missed out on a great buyer. I mean, I, guys, truthfully, that would have been an additional fifteen to twenty thousand dollars in my back pocket from what I actually sold the house. Mm-hmm. And at the time in my 20, I mean, well, I guess I was early thirties when I sold that house. Um, that 20 gram would have, could have done some incredible things. things. It really, really could. So check your emotions at the door. Um, especially when you're trying to figure out what your house is worth. Take every contract serious because you assume when you get one the first week that these things are going to start flowing. That might be not the case. that, That contract might be there for a reason. So take it and treat it very serious. And then just be careful. I talked about this. This is another learning experience I had. Be careful with unique contract requests or contingencies. If you've got somebody who can't give you a contract um, just straight up because they need you to, they need to. Or let me rent for a year. And rent then for a year. And then, you know, no matter what they do, be careful of those things because you can get into some unique situations right. that seem okay while you're excited about having somebody that's interested in buying your house. And they even can offer you a favorable price. Mm-hmm. But it might be a horrible deal when you get stuck with a house when the real estate market cools down in the winter or maybe things just change in that area and you're stuck when you could have sold the house. I wanted to pivot. Um, it's not hard to find articles on buying and selling a home. But try to find articles on building a house. It's harder. I mean, because I think it's kind of specialized. Why, why are you looking like, like that? I know how excited you are. This is like your favorite part. Like, you're bearing the lead. I'm like, this is, I, I know how excited you are because this is like one of your most favorite things to do. Here's what he knows because Bo's been with me, realized, for over a decade now. And in that, in that process, two homes or one home? Just, you, just one just home. Just one home you've gotten to see me. I, my wife and I love building houses together. Now, I think we're done. I mean, we might do some you know, some other type of property down the road, but we're good at it. I mean, we don't fight. You hear about some people saying if your marriage can survive building a house together, you can go, you got a good marriage. We never had any issues like that. So 
I want to give you some tips and tricks because I think it's it's hard to find a good resource. And we built three separate personalized houses, and I've learned a lot on every one of sure. them. So I want to make sure I share these things with you. Um, the first one, because there's differences between building your custom home on land you bought, and then, but I, I think what most people do is they build in a neighborhood sure. where you'll have a builder or a set of builders that are building on lots that were developed by a developer. Sure. So, and, and it's not uncommon when you go in and look at these these neighborhoods that are being built that they'll have model homes. They might even have a row of model homes. And man, is it fun to go walk oh, through yeah. those model homes because they will be decked out with furniture. They'll be decked out with every level of trim that you could think of. They'll have hardwoods everywhere. They will have cool gadget factors that give you a wow factor. It really is loaded up to the hilt. And around here, they do annual tour of home deals that you pay. You actually pay ticket charges to go walk through houses they're selling. It's it's kind of cool, but good for them for for being able to do it. But those model homes can fool you. I kid you not. I know in the neighborhood that they're building close to my house. The model home is fifty percent more expensive than the other most of the houses going in the neighborhood. My neighborhood's the exact same way. So you go in these things, and I think they give you a false sense of what you're going to get. So here's the tip I give you: is don't let that model home fool you. Mm-hmm. If you go in this house, you like the feel of it. The first thing you need to do is walk five houses down from that <laughs> one, get away from the model homes, walk through some of the houses being built, and see what the real houses sure. are going to look like. Um, that's going to give you a much bigger feel for what what what's going on in the real houses in that. And when you're in that model, you can even ask the listing agent there to give you a list of all the upgrades, so you can yeah. see the things that are standard versus the things that are upgrades, so you know how much is actually cooked into the the additions. Yeah, and, the, and you know what? What I like because I used to get those, I'd ask for those options lists. Mm-hmm. I go. Talking about spreadsheet heaven. I mean, because think of it, this is one, this is like, you know, you've seen us do the podcast on buying cars. Houses, because car, you get to choose, okay, do I want it to help me stay in the lanes? Do I want it to have the automatic right. headlights? Do I want my seats to warm up? Yeah. You know, you only get like six or seven choices of sure. options. House, it's limitless. I mean, you can add anything to a house. So it is, it is a, if you love spreadsheets, you're going to love getting an options list from a model home. What, what was it your builder told you every time you asked him if something was possible? <laughs> he said, everything's possible for a price. <laughs> so, I mean, it is, a, it's my favorite line, but it's, um, the, the, in that, that, let me kind of continue on. The other thing is, if it's not in writing, it doesn't exist. What do you mean? You need to, when you're by, by building a house, whether it's custom or whether you're building in a, in a neighborhood, don't assume something that that real estate agent or the builder tells you is going to happen just because they said it to you. Okay. It, if it's not in writing, it doesn't exist. Okay. Um, and that's not, you know, people forget. It's just the also, nature of the industry, right? Just, I mean, it, it's just, if it's not in writing, be careful. And then, I think that ties into, I'd put, negotiate as much as possible on the front end. Change orders are super expensive. Yep. And, um, you know, it's, it's, that's where, that's where that quote from my builder came from is that he, I, I can change anything, but it has a price. <laughs> so it's better if you, cause as soon as the ink die, dries on your contract, on your deal, your leverage is gone. Sure. Realize that this is such a big purchase that a lot of times your leverage is right before you sign the contract. So, this may mean you need to know exactly what you want in the house before the contract's That's built. Right. I, and I think this is, this mistake is lost on most people is because they they will sign a contract for a house 
before they go talk to all the what fixtures are we going to put in the right, house? Yeah. You know, what type of granite or countertops are we going to put? What type of plumbing fixtures are we? Are we going to put hardwood here? Are we going to put hardwood there? What type of hardwood are yeah. we going to do? Are there some cool gadget factors we plan on putting in this sure. house? And what you don't know is if you just sign a basic contract and they just assume when you go to the design center that you'll figure that stuff out. Oh yeah, they'll let you figure it out. But when you go to the design center, you're paying rack rate. That's right. Rack. I mean, they, they're pulling it off this and just putting it on the line. They're saying, okay, the retail price on this is this, and you'll pay that yep. because they've already got the signed contract. That's right. So I always tell people, go to those design centers. Go to those locations where you know they're working with, with builders and go ahead and start picking out the things you think you want. And then also reserve the right that you can keep these vendors honest, like my, my fixtures in my house. I said, okay, if you are mandating I have to use this vendor mm-hmm. to buy my light fixtures because this is who the builder wanted to work with, let them let me keep them honest by using sites like um, build.com, lightingdirect.com, yeah. and I got them to agree that they were going to price match every one of my fixtures that awesome. I found on that website. Now, that saved me thousands. I kid you not. It really did. Don't you know they loved working with me? I would say every single one of our builder listeners right now is like, man, I'm glad I didn't build Brian's house. No, actually, my builder loved me. I mean, because I'm so organized. I mean, I keep up. And that's the other thing. I don't even have it on my list here, but you should have a spreadsheet where you are constantly, you know, you really, this is a spreadsheet dream and the fact that you need to be keeping up with all the upgrades, all the options. Because you'll even find, I've had two builders that feel like I think they kind of lost their place and maybe I could have taken advantage of that and gotten a few things for free. Sure. But I think it's just better if everybody's transparent and we keep it all on the the same page. Sure. So here's some, some upgrades and things you need to research before you go in. I went detailed with this. Paint. Oh, yeah. This is going to surprise you. Even on million-dollar homes, they'll put cheap, flat paint in the houses because why you're like why why would a builder just put flat paint well first of all flat paint looks spectacular when you put it in a house because it hides all imperfections with the sheetrock so builders even on million dollar homes love flat paint the problem is in bathrooms and kitchens laundry rooms anything where water or you have food or you can get stains that you can't wipe a flat wall. Right. It just doesn't wipe. The paint comes off on that. If you use a magic eraser, you're going to you sheetrock. Magic erase. Yeah, right you're on magic off. erasing <laughs> the paint color. So um, paint is cheap. Yep. What's hard? What's expensive about paint is painting. <laughs> it's the labor that is the expensive thing. So if you so put that in your contract. If you want upgraded paint, if you want something that's wipeable, mm-hmm. put it in your contract. Yep. It's cheap. So do it. Kitchens and bathrooms are going to be some of the most expensive things you're going to do. That's where the majority of your upgrades are going to come in. So go and know exactly what you want and what it's going to cost before you negotiate that contract because you do not want to pay retail on that stuff once you start building. No detail is too small to put in the contract. Here's the thing. I think people, I like outlets. And I knew I wanted outlets in specific places. It's better to get that outlet put in when you're in the contract phase, because it doesn't cost that much for them to put that in. You might get some freebies in there when you're doing this on the front end of the negotiation. If you do the contract and then go try to add outlets, they're going to charge you for every one of them. So, you know, me and me and my wife were living here in this community before you and your wife were and while you're building the house. And I literally remember the phone calls when you would have me go over to the new construction <laughs> and you would have me count the outlet boxes to make sure that they were in all the places you want. Well, you have to be a, you have to keep them account. Just, solid core doors. I mean, solid core doors don't cost that much more than the hollow. Do y'all know what I'm saying? Because 
Do you even know what I'm talking about when I talk about solid doors? I mean, solid core, I'm going to assume it's a door that has a core that's pretty solid. Yeah, I mean, I, I like doors that have weight to them. And, you know, whereas most doors in new houses don't, I mean, they're, they're hollow. Sure. So, and it doesn't cost that much more. So if you want it, put it in there. Um, if you want dimmers, now look, oh, yeah. here's the thing. If they, if they try to charge you for dimmers, just do them yourself later. I mean, it's one of those things you can put in there and see if you get a freebie out of it. Right. But if they try to charge you, you can do that yourself. There's a few YouTube videos. You'll have that figured out. Um, make sure you pay attention to lighting allowances, lighting, mm-hmm. appliance, countertop, landscaping, and plumbing allowances. Yeah. You need to know if that's good on the front end because, um, and that's the part, that's what's going to protect you. You know, because you're probably thinking, Brian, if I build a house, I'm not going to know everything I need. You're telling me to go price everything, figure it out. You don't, I, I realize you're not going to be able to know it all, but you can at least get that allowance big enough that it's reasonable, that it, as long as you're responsible, it's going to be enough to cover you. That's right. And that's where I put in the price match stuff. Keep them honest. Um, they might fight you in the beginning, but they would do it with their you, stuff so they you'll understand eventually, it. You'll eventually break them down. <laughs> um, I, I put, this is something that I, I think people sometimes will just take what the builders tell them is, is available. I said, plan ahead and make your house ready for the future. Okay. Um, when I built our house, I, I didn't have an electric car. I still don't have an electric car because Tesla keeps delaying when I'm getting my <laughs> Model 3. But um, I have a garage outlet for the Tesla. Sure. I, I went on the Tesla website, printed out the specs, emailed it over to my builder, who then emailed it over to the electrician. It was much cheaper to do it when I was building the house than and it was to market, do it after yeah. the market because when you have concrete poured, you have sheetrock up, sure. it, it's, it's different. Um Tankless water heaters. I love this thing. You can shower for hours. <laughs> Not that I do. I, I don't want y'all to think that I'd get visuals of me showering for hours. But Oh, my God. But, nobody even had visuals of you showering until you said but, that. But tankless water heaters are awesome. Also, I have a circulation pump that there is hot water. I, my, my first and second house... I kid you not, this is the most wasteful thing. I'm almost embarrassed to share. The water heater, the the, the tanked water heater right. was on the exact opposite side of the house from the master bedroom. So if you wanted to get ready for bed, to brush your teeth, to wash your face, our habit was we'd have to turn on the water. Let it run. To it would run for like five to seven minutes before it'd get, I mean, because a lot of plumbing running Holy through the house. Cow. So it'd take a long time. Maybe it was three minutes, but That's it seemed still, like yeah, it was yeah, a, long, yeah. a lot of water being wasted. This new house? It just has instant water. I Anywhere mean, it, in the it's house, crazy. It's magical. Water. I mean, you turn on water and it, it, it just, it just comes out. So, so think about those things. You can add that type of stuff. And I don't think it's that crazy expensive. You just got to do it on the front end. Sure. Um, insulation, efficiency. What are you going to be doing every month in this house? You'll be paying for utilities. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was like, so if you're going to be know. paying for something, let's see if we can lower the cost. Sure. Maybe you need to go negotiate putting in LED bulbs. Ask that on the front end yep. of the contract because it's easy for them to give it to you on the front end. If you try to do it later, they're going to charge you. That's but right. it's going to save you a lot of money. It's going to save you a lot of money if you talk about what's going on with the windows, what's mm-hmm. going on with the doors. I'm one of those people, I think garage doors ought to be insulated. If you live in a cold area, why do you want all that warm air or cool air, depending upon the season, just being lost in your garage space if you just paid a little bit extra when you built the house and got an insulated sure. garage door? Also pay attention to what type of insulation they're putting in. That stuff will pay for itself going forward. So you just need to be much proactive with it. And if there's things that will give you a happiness factor, I, I love, you can call it Chick-fil-A ice, you can call it Sonic ice. It's, like the, it's, little pellets. it's called pellet ice. Yeah. I love pellet ice. It's probably horrible for my teeth, but I like that, you know, you put a drink in it, juice or whatever. 
and then the ice takes on the flavor, and you just sit there and chew on it. You know, for the next 30 or 40 minutes after you've had a drink, even water is better with pellet ice. Every one of our dentists and orthodontist listeners right now is kind of cringing in their seat. But I love pellet ice. If you want pellet ice, put a pellet ice in your house. I mean, <laughs> when you're building, this is the type of stuff. You have to prioritize what's important to you. I wrote this. I've already mentioned it. It's kind of an echo of what we said earlier. But hire an inspector for on a build on both the front end. You know, you, you probably go have the inspector come out two times during the build. And then you also want to have the inspector come back out right before your one-year warranty is up. Sure. Go ahead and let that inspector come back out again. Find all the things that you might not have caught because you're not an expert in this. Sure. Hire that, 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 that inspector to come in. And if you're moving into a brand new area, guys, this is an important one. If you're moving out of state, you don't know which side of town you're moving on to. That's right. It is, it's dangerous because you might be building your dream house and then you live there for nine months and go, man, man I wish somebody, patterns. why didn't that real estate agent yeah. tell me that I'm always going to hear that? interstate mm-hmm. or tell me that the schools right here are horrible right. that if i'd have just moved two neighborhoods over yeah. i'd be in these world-class schools sure here's some things i always tell people i want you to go find out who the county commissioners are who the judges and others that are public servants in the community find out where they live i mean seriously this is going to tell you that sounds so where creepy. you want to live well i mean yeah but it's not hard to stalk no, no, in, in no, a healthy way yeah, it makes sense. these days you can go figure out where people and then find out who's moving in if you're moving into a brand new neighborhood find out where the other people moving in that neighborhood are coming from one of the things that makes me so happy about my neighborhood is how many people we have out of state people moving in we have out of country people moving in. but there's it surprises me that probably 30 percent are people who are just upgrading from the local community. That's a positive a good thing. Sign, That's yeah. a good sign when people are selling five minutes down the road. They like the school system. Sure. They love it. So they want to stay in the area. So they're just buying into building into this neighborhood. That's a positive thing because it, it's a good sign when locals are moving into your Absolutely. neighborhood. So go do your research. Your real estate agent should be able to help you with that. But just be careful until you get a feel for are they really working to make sure that you get the house that you need and deserve, or are they looking just to close a transaction? Right. So, so work through that. That's the biggest thing. That's my tips. I'm sure there's a gazillion more because there's so many ins and outs that go into building a new house. But I think we're giving you enough to get your, your interest peaked and to think about this. And you're probably starting to realize, oh my goodness, these guys are insane on the way they think about money. And that's true. I mean, this is not, you can't train <laughs> you, this. You, into right. <laughs> you know, you can train to, to, com, to kind of hide the crazy a little bit, but we really do think about money in all these different facets and ways. And that's why we do have clients in the majority of the country right. now. If you like what you hear, you want to have somebody in your corner that thinks this crazy about money where we're thinking about paint colors, we're thinking about flat versus, you know, eggshell paint. You might need somebody in your corner, and maybe you're brilliant. We have a lot of people who come to us that are brilliant, that could do this for a living, but they have a significant other that just doesn't have the same interest, and they want to have somebody look over their shoulder, but also be the backup, just in case what if happens. So we are here. Check us out, moneyguy.com. We love doing this show. I Like I said, you're missing out if you don't see all my crazy hand gestures, what my hair is doing. You know, what bows, rocking, and outfits we're wearing, whether it's vests or, or so forth. Go to YouTube.com. Go to MoneyGuy.com. Give us your email address as well, because that's what gives you the keys of the kingdom on getting to our archives all the way back to 2006. Right. 
That's how you can tell also that we're certifiable and the fact that we were giving this stuff away before anybody else was. Go check it out. Moneyguy.com. Hope you guys are loving that we're doing content every week now. Yep. Actually, if you're going on the YouTube channel, you're realizing it's not just every week. I mean, we had to, to we had to provide a, a list of how many shows we've done uh-huh. since December, uh-huh. November, November. I was shocked. I was like, oh my God, we're creating a lot of content. So go check it out. Moneyguy.com, YouTube. You got to check out the Money Guy Show. We love what we do. We love you guys listening. I'm your host, Brian Preston, sitting here with Mr. Bo Hansen. We'll talk to you soon. The Money Guy Podcast is hosted by Brian Preston. Brian Preston is a principal with Abound Wealth Management. Abound Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Security and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with the securities laws and regulations. Abound Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. (laughs) 